Hi, this is Carol Bishop with Forum Pioneering Design. Thank you for joining the Arch, connecting and supporting the arts and design community. Today, we're fortunate to have as our guest, Tim Howell. Tim, can you define your profession and introduce yourself? Um, thanks, Carol. I'm, um, I uh, am a cabinet maker. That's, that's what I've been saying for the past few years. And uh, when I get that question, most people will say, oh, you're a cabinet maker. Oh, well, can, you, can you do bookcases for me? And I say, sure, no problem. I mean, if you're worth 300 million and you're totally insane, then uh, we, can, we can do great stuff together. Um, so that's typically what I say now. Um, I've used uh, Millworker as a title. And also, um, I, I really feel like what I am is, is a designer craftsman, but I, I tend not to use that term very often. It's an old term that just uh, not a whole lot of people really recognize anymore. You, you've talked about growing up in Chicago, and uh, you, I think, have some stories about your uh, time there and how you ended up out here. Maybe you could uh, give us a little background on that. Um, well, uh, so in school, when I was in school, I went to University of Kansas in Lawrence. Um, I studied sculpture there. And so when I was in school... I through family connections, I used to get these um, summer jobs, working for the state or working uh, government positions, really, like um, uh, which allowed me to live on my own and um, um, make enough money for school. So, um, and those were all at the state of Illinois building, the the Helmut John building, at Hunter West Randolph, which is like always been emblazoned in my mind. But, I mean, when I started, the Greyhound bus station, you know, was across the street. If you, you remember what that was like, it was a, it was a different time. But um, so anyway, I would use the, the Art Institute of Chicago. I would use their housing board and, to find roommates. And um, so uh, there was one summer I lived with Ray Vikas, who's uh, an architect here in L.A. He has his own firm. And uh, Toby Johnson, who was uh, at that time finishing up her um, master's in critical theory. And uh, when I got out of school, of course, uh, what was Toby doing for a living? She was um, uh, the office manager for Pyramid Construction. So she got me my first interview, which was, I don't even think I sat down. It was probably 10 minutes long. I, I, this was, Howard Goldstein owned uh, Pyramid Construction. This was the building that, he owned the building actually, and this is where Exit Bar was. And, and their office was above Exit. And uh, so I went down to the office. Walked in and they said, oh, uh, Toby um, uh, says you want to be a carpenter apprentice. And I was said, sure, why not? And she says, or they said, um, show up at this address tomorrow. If you make it through the first day, you're hired. So away we went and I loved it. It was great. The, um, the guys that I worked with on that, um, my first job, they, you know, they were really... Um, local union number one guys they were you know they were like literally the the guys that built the sears tower it was it was great it was like a macho sculpture man extension of you know something but whatever it was good times oh and they accepted me you know they adopted me i wasn't too weird for them with the mickley glasses and the whatever it just it was great but anyway, so that's how I, <laughs> so that's how I got started, and that was, that was the day job that I was supposed to have, you know. And I moved into a, you know, ten thousand square foot loft at, like twenty second in Halstead, 
They're like the kind of loft where you don't want to live in. You know? That was a, <laughs> that was a pretty rough area, I think. Uh. But anyway, so that was the day job. And um, uh, to get to start, you know, making art. And But what happened along the way was I just got engrossed in millwork, really. And um, the way that happened was I, I ended up meeting Janet Bennis, who was a... Um, in Chicago, in the, in the high-end residential scene in Chicago, she was known as the woman metal worker. And um, she was a sculptor, and um, she, had a, um, she had a small shop, but it was, um, she did some really incredible projects. So with Janet, I didn't really, um, I didn't spend a lot of time with her, but um, what happened with Janet and, and the only reason I was working with Janet was just because I, of the, the minimal uh, welding skills that I had from school. I really wasn't very good at it, but I was good enough to hold down a job for, <laughs> for, for, some, for some months. But it was through, it was through Janet that um, I met a guy named Ken Medikevich. And, and um, if Janet was kind of the, the introduction to high-end residential, then it was, was a big motivator to um to stick with it and that's when i really my eyes were really open to um to really nice clean work that uh was challenging to do and uh, still is to this day so how did you end up from chicago to los angeles well through kenny um we did all of john akamura's installations in chicago um japanese japanese work the tea rooms and uh, traditional structures and I had everything in Chicago was like side side job right so I had a side job client that she said to me um, you know my son's coming back from Japan uh, he's about your age and you know he's kind of moved he's he's moving to Portland Oregon for Kreisu uh, International uh, it's a landscape architecture firm and um, I met Brian and um, meeting Brian it was like one of those friendships that was immediate and um, he introduced me to um, Carisu. I sent my portfolio out there, and it was a very lengthy negotiation. And there, I had to go out, and I spent a week in in Portland, and interview. And I guess the interview lasted about a week, I suppose. And um, I mean, these guys were like traditional Japanese warlord style. I mean, it was. Um, it was intense. The, those guys were intense. And, um, but anyway, they hired me, and that's what got me on the West Coast. And then so once I got to, to Portland, I, just like you know the high-end residential uh, lakefront scene in Chicago, which I had never seen before, I had never seen residential gardens uh, or structures like this before. Uh, I, I didn't know that it existed. So uh, again... Um, just uh, found a, a new niche, really, to, to work in. And, um, you know, like the, up in the Northwest, they call it, you know, pack rim design. And, but some of it is very traditional uh, Japanese and with, uh, traditional joinery, etc. And I never knew that there was something you could specialize in. And um, it seemed like with the specialization in Chicago, there was a lot. But the, the, the craftsmen in, in, in the Northwest seem to really have a, a much tighter specialization in the you know in the field and and that's that's kind of where all that that was the start of haha ha so so i suppose 
Can you tell us what ha ha so so is? Well, I, I, Carol, I've no, I've never answered that question. I have never, ever answered that question, uh, and I've never found an easy, quick way to do it. I'm going to try to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I thought it was your studio, but I see now it might be a philosophy. Well, it, it, it's company name. It really, really was a lot of things. I mean, um, so 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 comes from. It's kind of like a, a station of afterlife, and in, in some African religions, and um, so I used to like to take different parts and put them together to make some, you know, something other than what the the two parts alone are. Right. So there was so so. And then ha-ha literally just came from laughter. And um, so I used to make these drawings called ha-ha so-so drawings. That's what I called them. And they were initially they were just kind of messy drawings that were I used to like to load the paper up with um, with primer and and go into the go into the, the surfaces when it was wet and it was kind of like, you know, getting into memory or something and going through memory. And and then um, Later on, the the I got interested in these ideas of these really um, anonymous, like well, when you're driving down the road and you see a, a large building, no windows, and you see a, a a logo with the name of a company, you have no idea what it means or who they are. I mean, I'm just fascinated by the anonymous uh, architecture, I guess, of uh, of something like that. And so I started to make drawings. Ha uh, ha! So started to become something else: the three-dimensional drawings and um, other logos and symbols that would go with other other words that I thought just looked together, looked good together on the page. And so when I started my own gig, I didn't have to look far for a, what to call it. Um, it was going to be ha ha! So so. I mean, I've spent uh, days. You know, sitting around the whiskey table with friends who've started their own business, then like, what are we going to call it? I don't know. I mean, what, it's going to be this. It's going to be that. It's going to be. I just, I didn't have to do any of that. I just, I, and it was going to be ha ha so so. So that's where it came from. Is it also the place now where you work? Is it your studio? Oh no. Well, it really, it's just a company name. I, it's that's what I use it for. Yeah. So, um, in your company configuration. Is it you alone, or is it you and many other people? How does this work? Well, I used to um, market myself as a one-man shop, and you know I really probably am, but I don't think the world really wants to hear that anymore. So, um, uh, which is kind of the opposite of what you might think. Um, to me, it just seems to. Um... No, I have elves. That helped me. I, I don't. I, I don't have employees, but um, I mean, I've been doing this long enough that that I know how to get through. I'll just put it that way. I know how to get through a project. Can you tell me what kind of projects draw you in, or which ones you take? Well, like I said, you know, it's always good to be challenged, because um, if I'm not challenged, it ends up being just kind of boring. And I've never really wanted to work in a factory before. And so, you know, as long as there's some challenge, then it's supposed to be fun. When you do a project, you presume it'll be fun, but something intervenes and it's not. Does that ever happen? Like with the client or the architect or the space or the materials or the cash? <clears throat> I would actually say no. I think it, you know pretty early on that um, 
it's pretty much going to be a nightmare. <laughs> um, all the signs are there. Sometimes you have to go ahead and just do it anyway. You have to be brave. <laughs> but, um, yeah, sometimes you do, there are times you just have to walk away and just say, no, thank you. Taking this a little bit further, you said things change, like um, having a one-person studio now probably doesn't read as well as having you know, a whole group of people, or even some of the words that have been used for craftspeople in the past. So do you have to educate your clients, or is it that the architects intervene and you work mainly with them. I mean, you must meet the clients at some point. Sure. I would say that if you have to educate your clients, then you probably, that's probably not someone that you want to work with. Can you talk about materials you use? It's mainly wood, correct? Sure, yeah. But um, you've talked about metals a little bit. Um, oh, well, that was long ago. So it's, yeah. it's wood now. I mean, if I, if I do something with metal now, if there's something on the drawing in metal, then no, I, I have to go to a someone that's this you know furniture furniture metals and they take they they'll, they'll handle that so today with all the interest in ecology and you know you're not supposed to use this wood or that wood or it, it's banned or um you know we don't have enough in the world how do you pick your materials where do you get them well the the hardwood lumber um acreage in the U.S. is probably better now than it ever was in history, so I'm told. Um, some of these materials are come from the same forests that, um, uh, that are managed and have the paperwork trail behind them. I don't really see FSC uh, too much anymore um, as a requirement. I used to really love Port Orford cedar, but um, no, the 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 um, the project drives the material really. Um, I don't usually have a whole unless I'm designing for one of my clients. I, there's really not a whole lot of. Uh, I don't know. Is that true? Maybe that's not. Uh, you know, every project is different, completely different, and expectations are completely different on every project. And um, but materials are usually chosen by designer or architect or owner. I help, assist sometimes. Um, I mean, there are architects and designers that really don't understand millwork at all. Um, and I call that design support. So it's just, it just varies. Every project is completely different. Does that influence you at all? I mean, because these designers are going to ask you to do whatever the client wants, and the client may be influenced by um, Architectural Digest or whatever. Well, yeah, I just have to think about it like, uh, you know, if I'm not in the art world, then who is? Um, who, what, do you ha what do you have to do to get there? Is it what you make? Is it who you know? Is it, is it do you have to be represented by a gallery? Um, what about the buyers? You know, I mean, I've bought art, original work from galleries before. That's the easiest way to do it. I just have to think about it like, making concrete the higher limits of the mind. So if if you, the ta if that table is what it is, then that's what art's going to have to be today. You know, you know, and the, these Joseph Bowie's ideas of of um, sculptural activity, where even trash collection is a, is a sculptural activity. You know, so I've always been interested in these super broad 
ideas of um, what art could be, but also taking, you know, something that's down low and bringing it up very high, you know, and looking at that, looking at it from a different perspective. In your own environment, what is it like? Are you um, focused on wood in your own home? Are you focused on art in your own environment? Uh, how does that work in a um, personal level? You know, uh, I, um, I've been working on my own house for um, about 10 years. And um, you would not believe how much I try to take the wood out of the house. It's, and why is that? And, and on some projects, I, I do the same thing, you know, because um, wood isn't really the answer all the time. You know, even, <laughs> even for the wood guy. You know, yeah. it's just, just not the answer all the time. Um, like, you know, an example would be like, so exterior, right? So I've been living in this house long enough that I'm already taking apart things that I did on the exterior and re remodeling the remodel and replacing with, I'm going to say this, this could sound horrible, PVC uh, moldings. It's, you know, sometimes I don't like to see things age, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want and you know sometimes it's good some and it's it's great but sometimes i w just would like things to try to stay the way they're supposed to be for as long as <laughs> you can keep it that way um mother nature is hard to uh is hard to battle with um uh don't even try you know it's just it's not worth it so you talk a lot about your own background in art do you have a favorite artist or are there groups of artists or projects out in the arts that either inspired you or you find um, interesting? Um, I feel like I don't really have a clue anymore about what's going on. People tell me that um, it's a free-for-all and that people are doing just whatever they want to do, and uh, which sounds really cool. I... <laughs> I, um, it sounds like a kind of a place that I'd, I'd like to, um, to revisit, you know, let's, let's get back into art making again. That's the, uh, that's the ultimate fantasy, right? That's where it all started. So, uh, I'll let you know when, when that starts to happen. <laughs> Good. Um, so let's talk about traveling because, um, Obviously, you moved around for jobs and ended up in California. But do you ever travel at all for fun or to get away from it all? And where? I don't get a lot of time off. Um, I'm kind of like the uh, the town doctor. So the minute that I leave, I can assure you that if I'm slow and I need a project, if I buy a ticket, the phone's going to ring. And it's literally, I mean, that's, that's how it works. And... Um, Usually, if I take time off, I really try to keep it a secret. I don't tell anyone. They, um, I usually get away with it. Did you ever have a project that you thought was a disaster, but maybe the client didn't, or um, they did as well? Um, I think it's more the other way around. I think it may, might be more like everyone else thinks it's a disaster, but I think it's great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. That's... Uh... I mean, it's it's always amazes me, you know, with the through the uh, the arguing and the the blaming and the yelling, and you get to the end of a project, and um, the the next thing that happens is the phone that will ring, 
and it's the same clients and you know they want to do it over again and i really i, I always think to myself really you you want to do that again after what we just went through <laughs> you want to do it again oh yeah oh yeah tim um, it's we got to move on this one right away. We, we got to get pricing from you right away. We got to get going. Uh, it's just like okay, all right. Let's <laughs> let's let's try it again. Let's see what happens this time. Do you see new opportunities um, coming forward in this time? Since uh, there's a lot more money in certain segments of society, and that's a great question because um, I've always. I felt like I would work forever, right? So, but I kind of feel, oftentimes I get very discouraged more and more and start. I'm starting to think that maybe there is, um, there's not a whole lot of opportunity left in, in, in high-end residential. And would you switch, let's say, to film or to... Um... Well, that's, it's not... Um, that's actually kind of like one of my goals is, um, if it's possible, is to find something else I could do. Um, I don't know what that would be. I, I have no clue what that would be. <laughs> but you talk about art a lot, and you define yourself really as an artist craftsperson. So you couldn't split that um, hyphenated word and just say, okay, now I'll just do the art? Well, that would be great if I could sell the art. So what would be your advice for young craftspeople coming in um, or young people that are interested in um, millwork or making things? I think there's very few of those. Um, it's been a really, really long time since someone has asked me um, about being an apprentice or working for me, learning some of those skills. I think most people, you know, look at it like it's something that they would learn and they would use those skills at home and have a garage shop and, and make some of their own furniture or something. So do you prefer making, let's say, tables as an object rather than doing, let's say, whole walls or space? <clears throat> I, like, uh, I like all of them. Yeah. I like doing all of it. I, I like the variation. And having the skills to do those things has um, kept it interesting for me. <laughs> so do you do a lot of your designing um, on the computer, or do you still use um, a pencil? No, the, the, um, anything, the technology is a real challenge for me. Um, when the technology came in, I got left behind. Um, I mean, I like to joke that I, there's some ATMs I can't even use. I, mean, I think they should make ATMs with like a three-button maximum by law and withdraw only. So, yeah, I try to stay away from the computers as much as I try to stay away from the math. Um, I've come a really long way, especially the past few years, because um, um, construction is kind of a Neanderthal industry. It's always been kind of like, you know, and how do you apply technology to, to the trades? And, and uh, it's... I guess when they create the robot that can build a house, I mean, that's, I don't know. For example, I, I, um, now they're building houses from 3D printers. But I'm not really sure if they're doing 
well-designed furniture with 3D printers in those houses. Someone somewhere, yes, right now. Yes, in, Am- <laughs> in Amsterdam, they're building a huge house. So, um, um, when you went to art school, was there any um, interest in crafts, or was that a separate department, or was it frowned upon by your art people? You know, I... Um in many ways, I um, wish I could do it again because I was had a single-track mind and um, I should have explored really a lot more than, than what I did. But don't you think when we're young and we're in college, there are other things besides the work that we do? <laughs> um, so we don't Whoa. have those doors open to us. <laughs> you know. what, what, what do you mean? I mean, you might be hanging out with your friends or you get involved in a project you want to do without really thinking about a bigger picture. Or you don't have opportunities. Your teachers don't say, oh, go to Italy and look at the work done there in the Renaissance on cathedrals. Um, so I'm not sure that sometimes going to art school is just another limited place. Oh, no, I don't mean it that way. I mean, I, I was like an art student's art student, and, and um, uh, I just was so single-track, devoted to sculpture, and um, I just didn't really consider all of the other things I probably should have done and could have done. It just was, I should have been, I should have been going over to the architecture school and meeting all of those guys. Were there any sculptors that you became interested in or um, some styles when you were young that you said, oh, I want to work like he does or look at her work. I'm interested in that. Um, well, I mean, it's been a long time since I've really looked at sculpture and and um, or even to know what's really happening right now. But I mean, Ursula von Rüdingsford comes to mind. Gerhard Mertz. I always liked what he did. A lot of, actually, um, a lot of Jessica Stockholder, a lot of women, actually. Well, that's nice because it's timely, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Well, no, I was just very ahead of my time. I guess so. (laughs) In your profession, how does ego fit in, or does it at all? Uh, The way it works for me, the ego acts as the, um, the quality control department. So if something's going out the door and the ego sees something that is that um, it doesn't like, you know, it lets me know. And it's, um, it has to stay longer and it has to be massaged over. But what if you have a deadline? Does that become a problem? So, well, what I have learned is that um, if you blow a deadline, really the first thing you have to do is get on the phone and make a call and forewarn everyone, despite the anger, the screaming, the grumbling, it's just something that you have to do. And is there sympathy on the other end? Um, sometimes, sometimes. I, if I can make a good case, it, it, well, if you make the case for quality, people will understand, usually. Um, so that's, that's what you have to sell. You have to sell quality. It's been great talking with you, Tim. And thank all of you for listening. And join us next time on The Arch. This is Carol Bishop for Form. We'd like to thank our sound producer, Bruce Barker, and producer Jerry Levy for helping to make this happen.